of the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined this week by my wonderful co-host, Chris. Hey, how's it going? Lovely to have you here, Chris. Uh, thank you for joining us. No, no, my pleasure. Uh, how have you been? Same old same, really. Have you seen anything interesting lately? Ooh, let me quickly have a look at my letterbox and I'll have a think if there's anything that's kind of standing out. Um, ooh, that's what I've been doing. Um, uh, I've been actually re-watching uh, all the Bob Fosse films, actually. Really? That's kind of interesting. What's, what's kind of brought that on? Um, it's, I guess, uh, I've been following along to this wonderful podcast, Blank Check, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners are also familiar with. But it's actually uh, given me an opportunity to revisit some of those great classics. So I've recently been re-watching uh, Cabaret and all that jazz. And I watched for the first time uh, Sweet Charity, which I had never seen. Oh, what was that one like? It was not bad. Not bad. It wasn't it quite what I was expecting, kind of being familiar with Fosse's kind of later films. But, um, I mean... A wonderful, insane performance from Shirley MacLaine, and who doesn't love an unhinged Shirley MacLaine? And I had no idea, but like the first, like I think it's the second big musical number is Hey Big Spender. So I was just automatically in. It's super campy and super fun and really enjoyable. Uh, but what about you? Have you watched anything uh, of note recently? Hmm, I'll have a think. Um, you know what? I'm not going to be able to maintain this any longer enough of that enough of that crazy bullshit <laughs> um thought it'd be fun to kind of kick the episode off like that but yes as you can uh probably imagine by now uh no lee on this episode unfortunately uh she is still quite under the weather uh so she's going to be taking a bit of a break um from some of these regular episodes uh, my hope is uh moving forward we'll be able to get her in on some of the more key episodes and um, when it's uh, ones that are kind of lesser, I'm looking at you, masculine, feminine, next week. Um, I'm going to try and either bring in a replacement guest or a co-host or, you know, someone to fill in the spot. Or, I don't know, if, if this goes okay, I might end up doing a couple just by myself. I don't know, it's a bit, it's a bit awkward not having that kind of back and forth dialogue, but we'll see how we go. But, um... Yeah, so obviously, as I just had been rambling, <laughs> having the what the uh, conversation with myself, I'd been revisiting all the Fosse films. Uh, other than that, I recently uh, showed Claire to live and die in L.A. the uh, the 1985 William Friedkin movie, and holy shit, that holds up. Um, I hadn't seen that for a couple of years, and man, like Willem Dafoe in I think his third ever film role. Uh, super young, like late 20s Willem Dafoe wearing a kimono while counterfeiting money while a Wang Chung soundtrack plays. What more do you want out of a movie? Jesus. Um, young John Turturro in there as well. It, it held up like crazy. I, I mean, because in that whole 80s period, a lot of people kind of, you know, disregard the Friedkin films from that era. But some of them I, I've discovered have been really, really fun. Like, To Live and Die in L.A., I mean, Sorcerer, obviously, is a fucking masterpiece. And um, Cruising, which is a super-duper weird movie <laughs> with Al Pacino, but that if you've never seen, I would really recommend uh, checking out. But yeah, other than that, it's, uh, it's been a pretty, pretty standard couple of weeks for me, except for the fact that I have discovered, really, uh, I'll say discovered in earnest... Uh, the films of one Mr. Mike Lee, who is the uh, writer-director, I mean, writer in parentheses, I guess, um, the director of uh, this week's film, Naked, from 1993. The brilliant and controversial Naked from director Mike Lee stars David Thewlis as Johnny, a charming and eloquent but relentlessly vicious drifter. Rejecting anyone who might, care who might care for him, the volcanic Johnny hurls himself around London on a nocturnal odyssey, colliding with a succession of other desperate and disposed people and scorching everyone in his path. 
with a virtuoso script and raw performances from Thulis and co-stars Katrine Cartledge and Leslie Sharp. Lee's depiction of England's underbelly is an amalgam of black comedy and doomsday prophecy that took both the Best Director and Best Actor prizes at the 1993 Cannes Film Festival. Now, this is an interesting one. So, obviously, no Lee on this episode because of uh, her being a bit unwell and under the weather. Um, Claire did offer to kind of jump in on this one. She did say, like, hey, if you need somebody, I am around. But I, I'd seen this film before. This is actually one of uh, criterion that I own. Um, I'd, I'd seen it, I think, twice before. Um, once was kind of in, I want to say, like, probably early 2000s, back when I was sort of first really getting into film in, in earnest, I mean. Like, you know, really trying to discover what's sort of out there. And then I think, again, when this came out on Criterion, which I think was in, like, 2005. Because, um, yeah, around that time, it was one that sort of, you know, it, it had been out for about a decade at that point and had kind of built up a bit of notoriety. Um, I think in particular with Mike Lee, some of the other stuff he was doing around the 2000s, like, you look at films like Vera Drake, which is uh, very different to, to Naked uh, in in some regards. So um, sort of his film, him popping back up onto the scene again kind of piqued my interest and I dived back into Naked. Um, but having seen it before, I, I kind of steered Claire away from it, um, which sounds weird and kind of counterintuitive. You don't want to exactly, you know, tell someone to not watch a movie, especially one as good as this. Um, but I just, knowing her taste and her style in film, I thought it was going to be, it's, I think I read somewhere, like someone described it as, it's a tough hang, <laughs> like for, for two hours and 10 minutes of hanging out with David, an unhinged David Thewlis is, it, it can be a lot for a lot of people. So I didn't want to exactly subject her to that. But yeah, so this, I would say, um, it's kind of also what pushed me to kind of go and have a bit of a deeper look at Mike Lee's filmography, um, knowing that I would mostly, most likely be doing this episode by myself. Um, so I wanted to try and have a bit of context to be able to talk about the film and Lee in general, um, since I'm sort of not having a more of a critique back and forth conversation, I guess. Um, so prior to to this last week or so, I would say, um, I was familiar with, obviously, Naked, which I think was the first film of his that I ever saw, like I mentioned back in the sort of early to mid-2000s. And um, beyond that, I think the only ones I'd ever seen before were uh, Topsy Turvy, which was... Um, I, I remember that coming out in the, in the mid-90s and being a big... Or late-90s, sorry, and really kind of making a bit of a splash. And so I'm sure I saw it around that time maybe as well. Um, but obviously, you know, his um, Gilbert and Sullivan biopic about the making of the Mikado, uh, also out on Criterion and is a really wonderful film. Uh, and beyond that, I think it was really probably Vera Drake was the only other Mike Lee I, film I had seen. Um, I'm going to quickly pull up his IMDb just to just to confirm that. Yeah, like I, I'd never seen Career Girls um, for some reason, Happy Go Lucky in Another Year kind of uh, missed me by. Um, so, yeah, it was really Topsy Turvy and Vera Drake. Those those were the two as alongside Naked. And it's a bit of a stark difference um, in terms of, like, just looking at those three isolated in a bubble. So I wanted to kind of dive a into some of his kind of... The work that was kind of shall we say the bread that to the, to the meat that is naked, if we're going to do a sandwich analogy here. So um, mainly like, you know, what did he do directly before this and what does he do directly after this? And it, it's really interesting uh, kind of looking at that broader scope and that bigger picture of an artist like that. Um, and again, I will immediately go back to what I, the first thing I thought of, it made me go back to the Truffaut quote that, um, you know, Lee often brings up as well when we're doing episodes where uh, Truffaut said that every filmmaker's most recent film is in direct response to their previous film. And I find that incredibly interesting if you, if you look at Mike Lee's filmography 
especially this early filmography, uh, and it kind of apply that method, I guess. Because before this is 1990s Life is Sweet, uh, starring uh, Jim Broadband, uh, Stephen Ray, um, also out in Criterion. So I, I never, I, I think it's a kind of a recent edition of the collection. I'd never seen it before, and so I was like, you know what, I'm going to put on uh, Life is Sweet and have a look, and it is exactly what it says. It, it's a, it's Life is Sweet. It's this beautiful kind of nice little warm hug of a film, I guess. It's just kind of doing what Mike Lee is kind of best known for, which is this real succinct encapsulation of characters and life, in particular the kind of that middle lower to middle class kind of the mundane that that people experience in their lives that that simple kind of you know it's a slice of life picture really um nothing particularly amazing about it um i mean it's it's totally enjoyable but it didn't really kind of scream you know amazing auteur or artist i think what makes it interesting is the kind of the emergence of the Mike Lee method, which we'll, I'll kind of get into a little bit later after I talk about uh, the next film that I watched, which is the film that he makes directly after Naked, which was Secrets and Lies uh, from 1996. Now, this is one that I'd heard about for a very long time, uh, mainly because I um, believe, like, obviously it's in Criterion as of pretty recently, I believe, but very highly rated film, uh, both in critics and audiences. But I knew quite a lot about it because it had been nominated for five Academy Awards, um, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress for Brenda Blevin, um, Best Screenplay. Like, you know, it it made a bit of a splash as like this independent British film back in 1996, 97. So it one that I'd always kind of known about. And the poster was never particularly interesting to me, I guess, as, you know, to hate to say it, as a cis white male, like, you know, the the image of two, it's a very kind of staid image, these two women kind of sitting there having a conversation across a table. Um, so it really was the award stuff that only kind of made me semi-interested, the Oscar stuff, as well as winning the Palme d'Or, I believe. But, you know, the synopsis of that one is following the death of her adoptive parents, a successful young black optometrist establishes contact with her biological mother, a lonely white factory worker living in poverty in East London. So, yeah, it sounds super fun, right? <laughs> but that's what kind of shocked me about this. I, I put it on expecting a very kind of emotionally wrought, emotional kind of character drama. I mean, the first image you see when you click on the IMDb page is Brenda Blethen on the phone looking disheveled, just mess of tears and snot and see like, oh God, what's the, this, what's this going to be? And it's fucking hilarious. I, I was not expecting this to be such a charming and funny and beautifully constructed character drama. Um... I mean, it, it is hysterically funny at some moments. Uh, Timothy Spall's supporting role, I think, is an absolute revelation. I thought he was absolutely fucking incredible. And the way that Mike Lee stages these scenes of him as a photographer taking these little snapshots of people's uh, in his studio is like the most beautiful kind of thesis statement of what Mike Lee and the film itself is doing. Um, it's like <laughs> right there on Front Street for you. But it... It, I'm really, really glad I watched this film uh, in advance of revisiting Naked, um, mainly because it really kind of succinctly pinpointed for me what the Mike Lee method of directing and writing a film is. And I know it's something that he had incorporated previously, but again, I, I never really knew about that, uh, having watched Naked previously. Uh, so, But for some reason, Secrets and Lies really kind of hammered at home for me. And for those that don't know, what Mike Lee basically does is he comes up with a vague outline of a story and then gets his uh, kind of crew of actors together. He's one of those directors that has his kind of repertory players, I guess, these people that keep popping up in Mike Lee films uh, for the most part. Uh, so he gets his cast together and then they extensively rehearse. He, he makes the character, the actors themselves come up with the characters' backstories, their emotional beats and things, and then they just sit there and they workshop it like a play. 
Uh, Mike Lee, uh, I had a, actually before getting into filmmaking, came was originally a theater director, and that's uh, so, so he's bringing that kind of history and the backstory into the work that he's doing on film and so he gets all of his actors to kind of create their characters and help create the script and he sits there and for lack of a better word kind of transposes or transcribes what the what comes out of these improvisations between the the characters and kind of crafts the movie and the script around that um, he's famously said that uh, he doesn't like having the credit written by uh, on his films. Uh, he'd prefer the credit of conceived by, which I think is a is a more kind of apropos um, kind of title for it because it is such. I, I know filmmaking is a hugely collaborative art, but this is one one director and whose films really make it a collaborative effort and. Going into Naked again um, for the first time in at least a decade, uh, revisiting this film, having that knowledge uh, made it such a more fascinating and interesting film to watch. Um, before we break down the film itself, I did uh, reach out to um, our wonderful patrons uh, over on the Patreon page there and asked them uh, if they were familiar at all with Mike Lee or any of his uh, films, uh, Naked in particular, to sort of get a bit of a dialogue back and forth with them, I guess, and that I could, you know, kind of bring into this. And uh, so I'll just read some of that stuff now. Um, patron Keelan says, I haven't seen Naked yet, but, uh, yet either, but it was one of those films that I've always been aware of for the longest time, having seen it in the video shop since I was a teenager. Um, in terms of Mike Lee, other films, uh, I've, he's seen only five of them and there isn't one of them that he didn't find utterly captivating. Uh, I seem to ha have got him quite confused with Ken Loach. Oh my God. I, when I saw you write this, I thought the exact same thing. Um, for some reason, I have also always gotten <laughs> Mike Lee and Ken Loach confused um, to the point that when I was kind of prepping to do this, I'm like, yeah, Mike Lee made I, Daniel Blake, right? And The Wind That Shakes the Barley. He's one of those filmmakers that's won the Palm Door twice, Right. No, that is, that is Ken Loach. So don't worry, I have made the exact same mistake. Um, yeah. Uh, but Keelan does point out that Loach appears to be on the darker side than Lee, uh, who would say is more has a bit more of a positive outlook in his films. Um, I mean, Naked being the example, the, the outlier, I guess. Uh, Secrets and Lies, I was expecting to be un uh, unrelentingly grim for some reason. Again, so right there with you but it wasn't it was quite funny and an excellent general uh another year uh happy go lucky he, he's just kind of breaking down some some standouts here um yeah it's it, and the, basically the 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 breakdown is they're all very lovely and uh occasionally very melancholy but uh all all pretty light and great uh, and then uh yeah. Andrew Jarrett, uh, Captain Internationalist himself, said, uh, My only experience with Mike Lee is through the Criterion Collection, but I do love the British social realism films quite a lot. Uh, you were dropped into these people's lives for a moment in time. Literally a slice of life. Uh, meantime, has a, gr has a great early Tim Roth performance. Um, that's another, I believe, a made-for-TV movie that Mike Lee made that's also in Criterion. Also has Gary Oldman in it. Uh, life is Sweet is a sweet story of a British family just getting by. Uh, and then he goes on to say, I saw Naked for the first time earlier this year. It's a tough watch. On the surface, David Thewlis' Johnny is even more mean-spirited than Baudou. Yeah. There's a lot to kind of draw comparisons there with um, the previous film, Baudou, Save from Drowning. I think even to the point that there's like multiple critics have drawn comparisons there. Yeah, it was um, uh, the film critic Michael Coveney. He's actually said that um, he drew comparisons uh, of Naked between Hamlet and Baudu Save from Drowning directly, which it turns out is one of Mike Lee's favourite films. Um, Hamlet talks incessantly to the... This is uh, what Coveney says. Uh, Hamlet talks incessantly to the audience, assuming a dominance over other characters through the expression of mania and rapid witty speech. Thulist, wrapped like Hamlet in a black inky coat, is similarly socially untethered, but burdened without knowledge and a vicious bullying line in repartee. 
uh, idiosyncratic character-driven filmmaking in Bordeaux, uh, said, but both Naked and Bordeaux explore the tension between the domesticated and the anarchic. Uh, this is a central theme, probably the central theme running through Mike Lee's work, and focuses this tension in the tragic comedy of a central character. Yeah, it's... It's also interesting, uh, Andrew on Patreon also pointed out that uh, we, if Lee did sit down and watch this, uh, that she should be, you know, it, it, trigger warnings. It's a bit, you know, rough with the violence against women. Uh, there's a key scene with a security guard where Johnny spews forth his personal philosophy. I believe the scene is key to explaining Johnny's obnoxious personality. Uh, and then he's also cut and pasted his Letterboxd uh, review in there for us. Um, also, just you should follow Andrew on Letterboxd. He's, he's got some great reviews out there. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's a... I think at this point, let's just jump into the film. Um, because the points that Andrew's brought up, I think, are really interesting in the fact that it's it's a film... Like, that, that security guard scene really, to me, was like the Rosetta Stone for kind of unlocking what... What is Johnny's deal, essentially? Um, so we'll go through the plot of the film. Uh, so basically, the movie opens, um, as we, uh, as I alluded to, um, with some violence against women. Uh, it, the film boldly opens with uh, Johnny sexually assaulting a woman uh, in an alleyway. I mean, it looks... Uh, reading the A.B. Talbin essay that came along with the Criterion edition, she does say it, it looks like it was consensually rough sex that then ends up moving into the realm of unconsensual. Um, but rape is rape, so, you know, no. Uh, it's it's really tough. <laughs> a, bold, a bold way to open your film. And so from that, Johnny uh, flees that event, we'll say, um, proceeds to steal a car and then drive from Manchester down to London, where he seeks out uh, his former girlfriend, Louise, uh, kind of knowing that she has a, she's down, down there living, he has her address, and it'll be somewhere that he can kind of escape for a few days to kind of lay low to avoid the inevitable beating that is going to come from um, his, uh, you know, sexually assaulting this young woman. Um, but once he arrives at their house, uh, the share flat that she shares um, with, uh, that she has two flatmates, uh, one named Sophie and the other one, Sandra, who is actually away in Zimbabwe at the moment. But yeah, so Johnny ends up uh, coming in and immediately putting on the David Thewlis charm and just proceeds to eventually, I mean, he seduces Sophie is a good way to put it. And it's during this whole seduction process uh, between kind of uh, Johnny and Sophie that we're really, really introduced to the powerhouse of David Thewlis. And, you know, it's one of those moments where you're like, Jesus Christ, where has this guy been and where did he come from? He's so perfectly embodying this horrendous character while at the same time presenting him in an absolutely charming kind of way maybe maybe charming is not quite the right word because i mean like how i referred to this film is it's a it's a tough hang like johnny seems like the worst fucking person in the world to hang out with and the, especially after um after louise comes home uh, and finds him there with Sophie. It it's just brutal. Where he he's such a cunt. <laughs> I mean, that's the best way I can kind of describe it. The the snarkier sides, the constantly smoking and drinking, and just thinking that he not thinking but knowing that he's the smartest man in the world. At least in his own opinion, he's the smartest person in the room, and therefore his contempt for. I mean, throughout the film, it, it, it's predominantly hurled against women, which also makes this a really tough thing to watch. Um, but it, it is against sort of, you know, not just women. It, it, it's his contempt for anybody, everybody in the world. He, he thinks he's smarter than, and he is just ready to let you know it in the most cutting and biting way. I mean... I would highly recommend if you, just looking at the IMDb quotes page for this. It's it's bravura monologues delivered by David Thewlis, just witty, punchy, punchy dialogue that knowing that most of this came out of improvisation sessions is absolutely astonishing. Um, I know that there was a bit of a kind of backlash when the film came out with Thewlis um, initially thinking that he he'd deserved a co-writer 
score was worthy of a co-writer credit on the film. And I uh, was very disappointed when that didn't happen. But uh, he's then since kind of come out and said, uh, Naked, like all of Mike Lee's films, are a collaborative effort. And, you know, compounding that with as well, um, Mike himself saying the whole thing about how he doesn't like taking the written by credit, but it's, you know, through guilds and things that he, you know, someone has to get that credit. So he, you know, would much rather the conceived by. But anyway, uh, so basically after you know, hang, spending some time with Louise and Sophie, uh, Johnny bores of them and decides to essentially go out on a long dark night of the soul where he's wandering around the streets of London. Um, this is the point where I'm wondering, like, why the animosity that he shows against Louise and Sophie... Um, I mean, Sophie openly has, like, fallen for him super hard... And it makes me wonder if it is just that kind of wounded puppy thing that he has as a character where he can't allow himself to feel loved, I guess. Or, or the second that, you know, affection, the affection that he's so clearly craving and, you know, that's what his whole shtick is about. It, it's, it's a giant look at me, look at me song and dance that he's doing. Um, and the second that he actually finally gets that, that sort of, that, that attention that he's so badly desiring and wanting, he immediately just has to disconnect and turn on it. And, you know, whether or not it's at that point, I guess he's viewing, uh, the people that end up showing him affection as a sign of weakness because he himself never shows the affection. So if you were able to actually show that you're a weaker person, it's, it's a really interesting character examination. So basically he's prompt. He flees the, the flat, goes off on his little adventures and this is i mean really kind of the bulk of the movie like a good 40 50 minute chunk uh if not even a little bit longer right there in the middle where first we are kind of introduced to um archie who uh is played by ewan bremner uh who most people would know as spud from train spotting uh where he plays a scotsman with a tick uh this constant kind of you know, Tourette's-y kind of tick of his shoulder and things, uh, who has lost his uh, partner, Maggie. So it opens with, you know, just Thulis fucking with him and then fucking with Maggie. And it is that it's kind of having these moments in there, uh, this kind of prolonged sequence with the two of them uh, and eventually the three of them, I suppose. It's that thing of showing... So Johnny is a man who is kind of adrift, this kind of loner person who is out there wandering around London. Uh, what happens when this unique kind of individual comes across a similar being in Archie and then later Maggie? And let, let's do a, it's almost Lee doing a bit of a compare and contrast, I guess, of two kind of because um, Archie's also equally unhinged as is Maggie. Everyone's kind of a broken individual in this film. Um, but it is like from there that we end up getting to the part that I think is the, as Andrew had also pointed out on Patreon earlier, the the kind of Rosetta Stone for the film. And that is when uh, Johnny stumbles across uh, Brian, a security guard working in a uh, office building. Uh, it starts with um, Johnny's just sitting there at the front door, like crouched down with his bag and his coat reading randomly from the Bible, of all things. Um, and then uh, Brian comes and knocks on the door and Johnny immediately thinks it's, you know, shove off, off you go, you homeless person. But what ends up happening is Brian is a good-hearted, nice person. So he lets Johnny in out from the cold and then uh, ends up getting into a massive uh, philosophical and theological debate with him over the course of probably the next 20 minutes or so um, that is absolutely astounding um, some of these shots um, framed in kind of silhouette against kind of these big office empty office buildings with the light shining in from outside as David Thewlis and Peter White just go off on these wonderful wonderfully constructed monologues and discussions breaking down the idea of uh, the, the impending apocalypse and man's place on this earth and is there life after death and what in from that is there, 
you know, the nature of time being cyclical, heaven and hell, all this wonderful stuff that works great to really pinpoint the fact that Johnny is at heart a aggressive nihilist. He, he, and I don't know if that's a byproduct of his nature where he, as I said, like assuming, or just he thinks he's the smartest person, therefore he knows best. And uh, his idea that, uh, you know, everyone in the world is shit. (laughs) All of this is pointless. Nothing is worth it. So fuck it. And putting that up against someone who Brian has the wonderful moment where he says, I know for a fact that I have been here before. I have lived past lives. So I don't fear death or the idea of an inevitable nothingness uh, and the nihilistic kind of output that you have, Johnny, because I have the knowledge that I have been here before. And so that gives me comfort in knowing that I will be here again. And super wonderful and fascinating kind of enlightening discussion that really hammers home and kind of pushes Johnny, the character, through to kind of his inevitability. Um, it's the first time in the film that we've seen Johnny encounter somebody who is able to kind of match him, uh, come back at him with an equal intellect. Um, we haven't had that happen yet. We've, we've you know... It's it's the one of I think Louise. Obviously, there's nothing to say that Louise or Sophie are dumb. It's just the the view that Johnny has of them. I'm sure Louise is smart. I'm sure she's working in a, you know, it looked like a clerical office or something like. But it's it's Johnny's idea that these people that he's smarter than these people, and then having encountered someone who's able to match blows with him, I guess, and kind of come back at him with an equally posited idea of that kind of counters his kind of flummoxes him um it, it it's it, it's brian having that kind of diametric view that he does makes it makes johnny he's kind of at the crossroads at this point whether he decides then to either take a step back listen to what brian is saying and you know learn and grow as a character or the other road would be to double down on his nihilism and his hatred and his negativity and that's what he ends up doing <laughs> he's sort of uh from that ends up uh there's this woman across the way that brian watches every night um through the window when he's working as the security guard and so johnny it seems purely out of spite then travels over gets into the apartment and just sits in the window and stares out at Brian. Sort of that whole thing of this, well, because of you believe what you believe and that's hopeful and nice, but because of the way that I I am and who what I believe and what I'm putting out in the world, look where that's got me. It's gotten me into the rooms and into the windows that only you can look at and dream of getting into. And it's such, and he just sits there with the smugness on his face, smoking his cigarette. And he just, again has that encounter where he meets someone and just obliterates them um and it's just wonderful it it succinctly shows us who and what johnny is and in that moment we know oh he's not going to change as a person he's not going to change as a character and then you know as as the film progresses that's that's confirmed for us he never really does grow he he continues to encounter people um continues to act as such a horrible dick like you know the this there's the weird moment where he goes back with the waitress to her the house that she's house sitting in and he's putting on his big song and dance and his kind of flirty show that seduction routine that we've seen before we saw him do it with sophie at the beginning of the film and the thing is, this time it's not working. Instead, it turns into something kind of frightening for this woman, and she kicks him out of the house. And it's at that point where you feel like he loves the game of being able to have power over people. It, it's it's by having this, by seducing this woman, it's showing that he again flexing that intellect, and it's putting him in a position of power above this woman. And then once. That it seems like that's all working and going in place, but then you know she get, lets him have a bath and gives him some booze and stuff, but then it turns and 
he no all of a sudden he goes from someone that has that power in that scene to having it immediately removed unless he sinks to a lower level, which would be to, I mean, she just wants him out of the house. So he can either decide to stay or, and, you know, uh, you know, do whatever he would want to do, which is where something that I haven't mentioned that happens throughout this film really comes into play in, um, talked about the idea of the, Brian, the security guard, kind of being a diametric or a kind of, or like the, a lot of the people that he encounters being kind of help shining a light on who and what Johnny is. Also in the film is another character that we have not discussed, uh, who goes by Jeremy G. Smart or Sebastian Hawke, um, played by Greg uh, Crotwell, um, who basically... If the film is making audiences, if audiences are viewing the film and watching Johnny and seeing him be such a horrendous person, the immediate thought, and especially how the film opens with him sexually assaulting someone, you're like, how the fuck can this be a, a protagonist or like a a relatable character? This person is a bastard. He's a psychopath. He is evil. He is a bad person. But by inserting Sebastian into the film, this character by Greg Crutwell, that person is a legitimate psychopath. Um, throughout the film, uh, I think the first time, like he's getting a massage and he's being incredibly inappropriate to the woman doing, uh, giving him the massage. Then we see him out at dinner where he's just asking a woman about her tits. Um, he is pure id. I guess, um, where he's just, and Lee wonderfully peppers him in throughout the film at moments where you're like, well, is Johnny, you think Johnny's the absolute worst? No, I'm going to show you the absolute worst. And I bring it back, why I brought it up there is because Johnny being at this waitress's apartment um, and then getting kicked out, we are then immediately presented with a scenario where what happens when that person doesn't leave? And Sebastian has gone round to um, Louise and Sophie's apartment. Again, this is how Lee kind of brings all the characters together into his narrative. And he rapes Sophie and then refuses to leave. And it's scary <laughs> like he's just there in his underwear not necessarily doing anything beyond obviously he's horrifically sexually assaulted Sophie but after that he's like I'm just gonna have some wine I'm gonna sit on the couch and then I'm gonna go to bed and they're like just get the fuck out and he's like and he just doesn't um it, it's someone who similar to Johnny loves maintaining the power over a situation and and he is someone who will do it to a psychotic degree. He goes to those lengths that Johnny is not prepared to. He's When he's told to get out of that cafe worker's apartment, he gets out. Whereas Sebastian sits on the couch in his underwear drinking a bottle of champagne and will only eventually leave, you know, a day or two later. Um... It's, it's a really fascinating character study and then that presents, makes it forces us, the audience, to kind of come to terms with the fact of, all right, we thought this person was bad, but in the face of something that is truly bad, what type of person is Johnny? Is he capable of, you know, love and growth and understanding uh, all, of those, all of those things up until this point that we haven't, as an audience, been able to offer him? or necessarily be willing to offer him. And then it's through this kind of these encounters that we're able to then examine what, what makes up this type of person. Um, it's a really fucking well-constructed character examination. Um, after this in the film, uh, Johnny gets a couple of beatings, uh, one from a, uh, a poster man, a guy putting up posters around the, place um just because he's mouthing off and then a group of teen young kids beat the shit out of him as well um and so he manages to get himself back to louise and sophie's apartment um where and then sandra comes home from her trip in zimbabwe and um then he manages to get sebastian out of the apartment well, sebastian ends up leaving on his own accord i suppose um 
and Johnny, it, it looks like he and Louise are kind of rekindling their romance. It's Johnny has been beaten with it, like horribly, and so Louise is taking care of him. And we see him be vulnerable, both physically and emotionally, uh, in the state that he's in. And Louise starts to take care of him. And through that, he actually is accepting of the love and the care. And now that he's forcibly being put in a position that no longer he has power, he's able to kind of sit back and relax and kind of take it all in, I guess. And he and Louise sort of make some plans to she's going to go into the office quickly, quit her job, and then he's going to, she's going to take him back to Manchester and she's going to stay there. And they're going to be back together as a couple, it seems. But then she leaves and Johnny sees 380 pounds on the table. So he goes down, takes the money, does his usual shtick with Sandra, and then walks off down the road having pretty much left the film. Uh, he has lost his bag, but he has gained a broken ankle and several bruises. And he's off to his next... to destroy another person's ego and life, I suppose. And that is the film Naked. Um, it is one that I... Again, like I said, I'd seen a couple of times, but having now given myself uh, a little bit more context with the rest of Mike Lee's work, it really stands out to me as an amazing piece of filmmaking. Like I said, it, it's a really tough watch. A lot of kind of violence against women, uh, both uh, physically and mentally. Um, but it is one where when the end, when it gets to that last sort of 20, 30 minutes and you kind of are starting to piece everything together as to what... Mike Lee and David Thewlis are doing with this character in this film, it's really wonderful. Um, and it really is a type of film that you don't see that often or, or that I'm not that familiar with, especially in this day and age. It seemed back in the 90s, like 80s and 90s, there were quite a few kind of Dark Knight of the Soul films, but nothing kind of uh, that's an artistic peak like like Naked is. Um the amazing cinematography by uh, Dick Pope, uh, who, by the way, if no one knows the amazing uh, Dick Pope, was um, he was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Cinematography for Mike Lee's recent film, Mr. Turner. And when they were reading out the um, the nominees, the announcement on the, that morning, uh, the head of the Academy accidentally uh, called him Dick Poop. Dick Poop. Dick Pope for Mr. Turner. Uh, so this is a film shot by Dick Poop, and he absolutely nails this. It's it's in some scenes there's an almost kind of noir quality to the cinematography, evoking a lot of Hitchcockian kind of imagery, especially with Brian and Johnny looking through the window of the office building out at the woman, that kind of vertigo as well as this like Venetian blinds, giving that real noir feel to everything, but. The places that he takes us with the camera, it it really makes us feel at points like we're wandering the streets of hell or this this ruined wasteland of London. He's not photographing it in a beautiful or gorgeous way to make us kind of envy this night out that Johnny is going on. He's really making us kind of, as Lee would normally would say, like you can smell. You can smell the the places that they're visiting. There's one scene where they're under a bridge and Johnny, like, brilliantly observes, you know, they say in London you're never 10 metres away, you're always 10 metres away from a rat. And it's like, yep, looking at that's where you guys are, that's that's exactly right. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I'll, I'll get into a little bit of... Um, so, obviously, I really uh, enjoyed <laughs> this film. <laughs> um Again, uh, reiterating for the umpteenth time, it's a tough hang, but it's really worth it if you can uh, if you can put up with it or get on board for what it's doing. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. It really kind of was a bit divisive with critics. Um, yeah, uh, Derek Malcolm of The Guardian said that it is certainly Mike Lee's most striking piece of cinema to date. It tries to articulate what is wrong with the society that Mrs. Thatcher claims does not exist. Uh, Johnny is like no one, least of all himself, and he dislikes women even more than men, relapsing into sexual violence. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, Roger Ebert actually gave the film, uh, good old Roger, he gave the film four out of four, and he, uh, 
He basically, he wonderfully said, it describes characters who exist in the world without the usual layers of protection. They are clothed but warmly cheerful, but they are naked of families, relationships, homes, values, and in most cases, jobs. They exist in modern Britain with few possessions except their words. Um, Wonderfully little examination of why the film is called Naked. Again, I never really got into it because... I'm sitting here rambling by myself, but it's, you know, John, it is a, basically what happens when we strip everything bare and it is just our id, ego and super ego kind of out there representing us as characters. It's, it's great. Uh, but yeah, I, this was my favorite. Uh, there was some negative reviews. Uh, one that I loved that said Mike Lee's characters talk like lobotomized Muppets, <laughs> which I found really funny. Um, but yeah, as I'd mentioned, uh, on the back of the cover, the film won the Best Director Award at Cannes, uh, as well as Best Actor for David Thewlis. Uh, it was nominated for the Palm Door, uh, nominated for the Independent Spirit Award for Best Foreign Film, the BAFTA for Best British Film, whole bunch of, uh, awards there for this one, uh, rightfully so. Um, but yeah, didn't end up getting through to any Oscar glory, unfortunately, but what can you do? Uh, in terms of uh, other trivia, uh, the uncut shot of Johnny and Brian in silhouette, uh, where where Johnny expounds on the convoluted apocalyptic conspiracy theory, was shot in 26 takes, but Mike Lee ended up using one of the earliest ones as he felt it was better. <laughs> that just is, sounds so brutal. Uh, to prepare for the role of Johnny, David Thewlis read Voltaire's Candide, The Teachings of Buddha, and James Gleck's Chaos, and as well as The Bible and the Quran. Um, yep, the script, as I'd mentioned, the script was largely improvised during an 11 weeks of rehearsal, uh, before shooting, uh, the script itself was only 25 pages long. So again, kind of using that idea of here's a rough outline in a story, but we're just going to let the scenes happen. Uh, Mike Lee first had the idea for the story when he was a student in Manchester in the early 1950s. Um, this is Lee saying, uh, we had a very enlightened teacher who endlessly reminded us that the next total eclipse would be in August, 1999. In 1992, the millennium was impending. So I brought the, so that, so I brought that idea to the film. And that's really about it for trivia, unless I want to get into some real trivial stuff. Uh, but before we start to wrap up this episode, I think it's time that we found out what somebody else thinks this film might be about. All right, so Claire, I think it's time for... Um, oh, I had it on the tip of my tongue. What's this movie about? Yeah! All I right. always say this or that, doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, so this week's movie is called Naked. And Afraid. No, just Naked. Okay. There is the D- the Blu-ray cover. It is a British film from yes, 1993. From Mr. Lupin, Professor Lupin. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, David Thewlis. Let's get a cup of tea. What's on that cup of tea? Britishy flowers. So what is Naked about? 1980. 1993. 1993. Okay. Naked is... How old is this guy? 93. Okay, so Naked is about a bunch of um, 20-somethings that live in flats in London. I'm going pretty good so far, aren't I? Um, And... I was almost going to explain the full Monty, which is not in flats in London, but... (laughs) (laughs) They need to start stripping. (laughs) No. um, So, yep. So, mates, flatmates living together and um, it's about their um, fear of commitment, which is like talked about through the analogy of being naked with other people. Ooh, and I like there's that. just like a, a, a variety of situations and discussions where they yeah talk about their fears of commitment, be it to relationships or work or just life in general, you know? Yeah. So being you think, young. 
So you're thinking kind of more an ensemble, but mm. he's like they're just using him as the poster man. Yeah, well, he's in most of the conversations. Yeah. He's, he's our lead. Still. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? More comedy? No, Dramedy? no. Dra- a drama. Drama with some comedy aspects. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, elements. You got elements right there. Well, there you go. <laughs> is it set in England? It is. London? It, it, uh, it is. It starts in Manchester and then goes down to London, and there are some flats, and there <laughs> are some people in their mid-twenties. <laughs> but there's also a lot of violence and sexual assault and psychological battery. I like my version better. Yeah, so that's what Claire thought this film was about. Uh, we haven't recorded it yet, but I'm going to guess she was maybe... Had got a little bit right. I think she's a bit familiar based on me kind of watching Mike Lee films in the house all week. She might have picked up on some stuff. So, I don't know. We'll wait and see. But tagline. Uh, Have I got a tagline for this? Um, I actually have two. Uh, They're kind of... One's building off the other one. Uh, The obvious kind of jokey one is simply, here's Johnny. And the other one is, this is Johnny. He's got a couple of things on his mind. Yeah, I guess that'll about wrap us up for this episode. But I'll get into the actual Criterion edition itself. Um, It's still in print from Criterion as a one-disc Blu-ray, a one-disc DVD. Uh, It's also available on the Criterion channel, and it comes with an audio commentary featuring Lee and actors David Thewlis and uh, Catherine Cartledge. I said that so badly, Cartledge. A video interview with filmmaker Neil Labute. Uh, episode of the BBC program, The Art Zone, in which author Will Self interviews Lee. Uh, the Short and Curlies, an, a short comedy from 1987, directed by Lee, featuring Thulis, uh, also comes with an audio commentary. Uh, original theatrical trailer and the usual booklet and essays that Criterion usually do. All right, so how'd I do? Um, let me know how, how it sounds and if, it, if, if you guys are okay with the occasional one of these where I'm flying solo and just kind of sit here and give you my thoughts on the film. Uh, hopefully, I know I rambled a lot and uh, repeated myself. I don't know. I'll see how I go editing and trimming this down, but we'll see. Hopefully, um, you you enjoyed it. Um, and I would love... And thank you very much to uh, the people over there on Patreon who uh, gave your thoughts on Mike Lee and Naked. It kind of helped kind of get the dialogue flowing, I guess, for me and kind of, you know, for lack of a response from a co-host, it allowed me to kind of, you know, get get something, a little bit of a back and forth, I suppose. So uh, I would love to hear from listeners uh, what you thought of Naked. Uh, did you enjoy it? Was it a really tough watch for you? Uh, what are your thoughts on Mike Lee in general as a filmmaker and his interesting process? Uh, I'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com or you can follow me on Twitter at CriterionQuest or I'm on Letterboxd as well. Uh, all that usual stuff's in the uh, episode description there. But uh, next episode, we're going to be back with another Goddard film. So this is going to be interesting. It, uh, Goddard is hit and miss for me. So we'll see how we go with Masculine Feminine. Um, a similar note, in case I'm doing this one again by myself, let me know. Have you seen it? What did you think? What should I expect from this one? Uh, any, any, anything would be appreciated. Any kind of heads up on that would be appreciated. But for this week's episode, looking at Mike Lee's 1993 film, Naked, I'm Chris. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.